0: live for a session sometime you can join our weekly control the room facilitation lab it's a free event to meet fellow facilitators and explore new techniques so you can apply the things you learn in the podcast in real time with other facilitators sign up today at voltagecontrol.com slash facilitation dash lab if you'd like to learn more about my new book, Magical Meetings, you can download the Magical Meetings Quick Start Guide, a free PDF reference with some of the most important pieces of advice from the book. Download a copy today at voltagecontrol.com magical dash meetings dash quick dash guide. Today, I'm with Tim Beatty. Global head of product and a senior principal for Red Hat Open Innovation Labs, where he unleashes the power of open processes and technology working together. He is also the author of the book DevOps Culture and Practice with OpenShift. Welcome to the show, Tim.
1: Thanks, Doug. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to the conversation. So let's get started with just a little bit of background on how you found your way into this work around you know, unleashing open processes and helping people collaborate.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a journey for me. It's been a real evolution. I have uh, worked the last couple of decades uh, in the world of uh, systems integration and uh, project delivery working in, in professional services organizations you know and over the years working with many different clients uh, many different projects I've worked with so many teams. Many teams uh, have been awesome. Some teams have been really impeded and, and uh, held back. And about 15 years ago, I was working for a huge systems integrator and I was working on huge program of work, you know, hundreds of people, multi-year program. And uh, I personally felt quite a lot of frustration about the speed that we were able to deliver uh, to customers, to end users. I felt the the whole approach to delivering software in this case there had to be a quicker way a better way I mean we were literally going year after year without delivering everything just lots of documentation and uh, lots of process and um and and things that were holding teams back and and for me then i thought look this is just too big i need to go and work on small stuff small small projects small teams and uh and maybe i I will get more of a buzz and and i'm not have so much frustration i moved to a, a boutique consultancy i Stumbled upon a number of practices that I just loved. Some of them were uh, I learned later were agile. I didn't know they were agile at the time, but they just you know it made a lot of sense. It was very pragmatic. There was an awful lot more talking directly to customers, releasing more often to customers, getting feedback from customers. There was just a lot more communication and collaboration, and I and I loved it. And and seeing the satisfaction all round within the teams i was working in and with the customers i was working with it it just felt like a a breath of fresh air and so i enjoyed the next 10 years learning more about agile and lean and design thinking and all of these uh, frameworks as i started to realize this is what really ignites my passion in in it it's it's this collaboration and then the the icing on the cake was about four years ago four and a half years ago again in my in my effort to to continuously improve and adapt what I do with my career the one sticking point i had with the kind of services i was delivering was the teams i was working with all belonged to my supply side organisation so we were we were project teams and typically a project would run for 6 to 9 months the team were awesome because we were using all of that collaboration and there was amazing energy but My frustration then was, well, when this project runs out of funding, those people scatter in different directions. And just at Mm. the point of of awesomeness, the team disappears. And I I think, what a shame. And I felt this was a little bit almost dishonest around agility. I felt, you know, Agile is all about long-lived product teams and, you know, keeping the team together. So I got an opportunity to come and work with Red Hat at that time. I thought Red Hat, techie company I wasn't sure if I was the right fit, but the part of Red Hat that was launching them was called Open Innovation Labs. And it was all about seeding long-lived customer product teams within the customer's organization. And the main product that that I look after as as the head of product for Red Hat Open Innovation Labs is called the residency. And it's all about enabling teams to use practices, to use Red Hat's culture, which is based on open source and the technology, to be a long-lived team within the organization and this felt like a great way to deliver great agile and that's where i am now so uh, in the last few years i've learned more and more about open organizations and open source so I think, you know, over the last 15 years, you know, it's just it just brought me down this evolution into where I can just work with some great practices with some great teams and great people and create a, an infectious enthusiasm of energy in within the teams that I work with.
0: You know, it's interesting hearing you talk about finding that open innovation group there at Red Hat because and also... Just this issue you bumped into around the short lived nature and how this the team kind of spreads like a dandelion and then all the value kind of evaporates, the momentum's lost. And I had the pleasure of meeting Jim Coulson from IBM, who spoke at the CTO conference here in Austin and has collaborated with me on some local meetups and things, and as well as Chris Watts, who I think spent some time at Red Hat as well, and maybe mm, might be yeah. back at IBM now. And they were both telling me about the innovation approach at IBM, which I think Red Hat kind of was doing also independently before any of the IBM stuff, which is really fascinating because the way I understand it is that there's a group that's sitting in between R&D and product who is basically creating points of view and kind of harvesting stuff from R&D and then packaging it up and then working with product to like, you know, bring that to light and helping provide resources that can make these products really kind of stand up. And it really dawned on me how powerful this is. is This notion is like the liaison group is not necessarily quite a bit different than what we see in a lot of companies that create innovation groups where it's like, oh, these are the people that get to go like have the fancy coffee bars and stuff (laughs) versus enabling the rest of the org to maybe notice these things and then, you know, bring them to life within the or within the normal value stream
1: mm. you know what you say reminds me of one of the really cool things i i like about our open innovation labs is you know red hat has its own products we, we are a software company software product company when our customers come into our lab space one of the things we want to do is give them access to to Red Hat, as much as Red Hat as they're interested in. And I think when I look at our product engineers who are developing our products, one of the best things we can do is put them side by side with our customers who are consuming and using their products. And it's a, it's a, it's a win-win situation. It means our customers... Get access to those product engineers. They start to learn about you know what what roadmap looks like and maybe some awesome new features coming their way. But also, it means our product engineers get access to the people who are adopting their software, and, and often that that empathy doesn't exist in product. And this is where real innovation happens when we can have that kind of level of uh, feedback loops between the people who are using value, using features, and the people who are are delivering that. And and I'm seeing that happen more and more where we're breaking down those silos so that we can provide that direct access. And, And some of the conversations and the learning that happens when you can create that space in a lab environment and those conversation to happen is just enormously powerful and, and and what really sets the way for for great outcomes for, for both
0: sides really yeah you know it also reminds me of this phenomenon where you know a lot of companies create these silos of research you know they've mm-hmm. got the ux team that's out there doing the research and without the research happening at the team level it's hard for them to have that feedback loop right so it's like if the developers are having to rely on research that someone else did especially if it's like down the hall or in another building or another city or state or whatever, it's a lot different, right. Than if it's on your team and it's like a daily or weekly conversation.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think there's lots of different tools that can help with that. You know, uh, like, like you say, you know, having, having this stuff happen in a, in a closed room in a different part of the business park, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a world's difference to an open space where, where we invite stakeholders or anyone who's interested in, you know, what this team are innovating on to come in. And, you know, we, we have a term called walk the walls. You, you literally walk the walls with someone and you have a good old fashioned conversation about, you know, all of the visualization on those walls, all of the information being radiated on those walls. And being able to use that kind of transparent way of working that, you know, uh, allows you to see what teams are doing, why they're doing it, how they're pivoting, what they're learning, what their product increment looks like, and inviting conversation and feedback. You know, so having that visualization and uh, and inviting, you know, those conversations is, is really helpful. Likewise, having things like, you know, regular showcase events, you know, whether they be demos or or sprint reviews or or just short sessions to you know be able to show off something that we're trying out because you know, at that point, the learning is, is 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 quite minimal. It's when we start to share the work that we're doing and do it in an environment where we're inviting conversation and feedback. That's what that's what you know generates great products. Having other ways of getting getting your your work out there—written showcases, project postcards, you know, sketch note visualizations—there's tons of tools I think that teams can use to just share with the world, show the world the, the greatness that they, that they are trying and experimenting with and get those conversations flowing and get those feedback loops activated at many,
0: many different levels. Yeah, you know, it kind of echoes one of the the mantras that we believe strongly in, this notion that what gets visualized gets velocity. Yeah, like that. And when you talk about walking the walls, they're seeing the visuals, they're kind of peering into the future a little bit.
1: Yeah, oh gosh, yeah. I mean, the number of ideas, some of the best ideas for the future come up either during a walk the wall session and the conversations or a, or a retrospective event where you're just taking that time to, you know, as a team reflect on, you know, great stuff that we've done and we want to do more of but you know, what would make us that little bit better. And uh, I I, I think back to just some of the most amazing, simple ideas that have come out from just, you know, uh, enabling that culture of conversation and collaboration and ideation to come to
0: life. So I wanted to come back to one of the things you said in your description of your background and how you got started. And you talked about systems integration, mm-hmm. and it kind of piqued my interest because sort started thinking about systems thinking. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how much that background and kind of viewing the world through that lens has impacted your thinking around collaboration and about how teams and people come together to work.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that has been a real evolution in in my thinking throughout my career. I think back to some of the big programs of work where big systems integration projects, where different system teams operated very independently in a silo. You know, so you may have had a you may be working for a telecoms company and you would have a billing team, and you would have a provisioning team, and you would have a customer care team, and so on, and maybe an integration team who are completely separate. And when we're doing big systems development projects, these huge teams, sometimes 60, 70, 80 people in each of these teams, would never really collaborate. They would each deliver their own bit of the solution. And, you know, some months later, we would try and plug them all together and see if they talk to each other and you know 99.9% of the time they, they didn't because you know we hadn't worked together we hadn't designed together we hadn't released together and integrated early together um, you know, to me at the time, you know, I was I was relatively junior and I, I didn't think there was any other way. This is this is the way big systems are delivered and it's always painful when you try to do integration testing. Similarly, when you eventually go live, these big programs, you know, finally go into production several years later they get handed off into a whole separate part of the organization that look after the operations. We've never met the people who were going to maintain or support or fix problems in in, in in these systems. They were all handed over through documents. And again, I didn't know any other way. This this to me it was just a way. Now I think over the years as I've learned more and more techniques and frameworks and seen more and more examples of great ways of working i've learned about things like systems thinking and you start to realize the impact the kind of the the causal effects of not having that collaboration and when you can break down those silos and start to create a more cross-functional horizontal team you know that stretches through you almost turn the organisation on its side to deliver much more frequently, you really start to see the impact of it. So it's almost like I've, I've come through that evolution from seeing how slow we can go by bringing down those barriers, by bringing down those silos, by speeding up that collaboration and sharing and that transparency, we can really see the impact and the effect that has in terms of the quality of releases, the frequency of releases and the time it takes to deliver new ideas to end
0: users. You know, one thing that comes to mind is a common thing that we hear around, oh, we don't have time for that, mm, you know, yeah. whether it's like, you know, talking to customers or bringing the team together for an exploration session where we might generate better understanding better alignment because they feel like they, you know, to use your language earlier, you were in the pre-show chat, you were talking about outcomes versus outputs and mm-hmm. they're kind of in that output mode and they're just like banging out features, but they're not, um, you know, maybe it's the conversation around outputs versus outcomes but what's your go-to to to help teams understand that you know we might have to slow down in order to speed up overall
1: yeah it's funny because i think in this world of agile and scrum and and frameworks that have come to become more and more popular over recent years what we're hearing teams talk about is you know velocity and, and story points and you know time to value and you know how many features they can deliver and what we've ended up with is a world where we can deliver more features faster. But it's still all outputs. It's all about, yeah, h- how many features? Are those features actually being used? Are they generating outcomes to stakeholders or users or the people that matter? Are they delivering outcomes that matter? One of the stories I love to tell is about my grandmother who uh, lived in the, in the north of Ireland, where I'm from. And I remember about 15 years ago, she was very frustrated with the TV remote control. She had this huge remote control for a TV and it must have had about 40 or 50 buttons on it and it looked terrifying (laughs) and all she wanted to do was switch the TV on or off turn the volume up or down and change the channel. But somehow or other, there were 40 or 50 buttons on this remote control. Uh, And I thought this is a classic example of where we've over-engineered and uh, the team have just focused on churning out as many possible functions or features as they possibly can. And and the chances are, you know, 80, 90% of them will, will never be used. What I actually ended up doing was putting black tape over all of the buttons she didn't use. So she ended up with a you know a six button remote control which is all she needed you know to, to deliver the outcomes that mattered to her and I, and i think that's what more and more organizations need to learn to do they need to figure out you know what are the actual outcomes that are going to matter to our customers what are the measurable impacts that we want to affect on the people using our systems, and how can we work in a much more experimental approach so we can learn faster as to how we can deliver those outcomes that matter quicker through through experiments. So, so you know, I, I use stories like that i, I to, to sort of tee up the conversation. But really, I think our approach is: let's start with one team. Let's let's not try and get you know, hundreds of people thinking differently, you know, overnight, let's see if we can use some practices with one team, one application, one use case, uh, working a different way that's more outcome driven. And let's see if we can, you know, first of all, create the buzz and the infectious enthusiasm within that team to work that way, but also some mind blowing metrics around the ability to deliver features through a shorter lead time or through a higher frequency of deployments or or through you know a, a shorter amount of time to fix issues on production platforms and things like that, because I think if we can do that with one team and break down the barriers and the impediments that prevented them from doing that, then we can open the door and say, well, how do we get more teams working like this one? How do we create that infectious enthusiasm across the organization and scale this to to more and more teams?
0: The way I like to refer to that is the internal case study. You know, like often people talk about, oh, this worked at Google or this worked at Facebook or wherever, and it's like. Or even at Red Hat, and it's like, well, we're not any of those companies, you know? No. And it's so easy to explain away how we're different. And so carving out a case study.
1: And we can't expect people to copy. It's like the number of people that, you know, want to apply the Spotify model because they, they hear about, you know, what Spotify did. But, you know, you've got to create, you know, your organization's own culture, your own way, which you've got to go, to go through that evolution yourselves So this and this is why this is what really, you know, motivated me around our residency model, because we were really focusing on giving a team within an organization that experience. So they they kind of had that internal case study themselves, uh, but something that they could then use as a seed to then, you know, enable, educate, inspire others to create their own kind of stories as well and grow those internal case studies into a portfolio of case studies, really.
0: Yeah, you know, the Spotify example is pretty interesting. And for those of you that aren't familiar, Spotify released a blog post saying, you know, here's how we run our product development organization, really, really focused on the development end of things and how they organize people into squads and are kind of delivery units. And then there's the like guilds and things that might be more topical or more functionally driven. But the fascinating thing about it that I think is really interesting. I'd love to hear your thoughts here is that when I talk to folks that are at Spotify, are familiar with them. you know they talk about how we don't really do that anymore. We kind of evolved past that. So if you really want to apply the Spotify model, then you should be taking a, an experimentation approach. Yeah. And you should be looking inwardly at our culture and not just thinking, oh, DevOps is Jenkins or Docker or whatever. Or continuous deployment sure those are best practices but like how do we improve our culture how do we make our people more effective how do we focus on that developer experience and i think your book really focuses on this trinity of people process and technology so how do we help people collaborate together and what's the processes we might use and borrow from or i think that's really fascinating it really gets to that ethos of focusing on the developer experience rather than saying here's this roadmap for like how to automate our deployment or whatever
1: Absolutely, yeah. and um, I think the, the book, one of the things we really tried to focus when we when we wrote the book was not to make it about technology. So it is a book about DevOps. People think DevOps is a is a, is a techie thing. To, to me, it's it's a it's a collaboration philosophy. It's an ideology that is all about bringing down silos and getting communication flows working through an organization. Um, starting with Dev and Ops, that's, that's where the name came from, but really extending beyond that and I'm, I'm thinking about everyone involved in, in the value chain, you know, including end users, including some of the stakeholders like security and, and operational people, and, and I think to achieve great DevOps requires an adaptive approach. It, it, it's you can't go to the Spotify website and or go to Spotify and ask for a copy of their business model and then do copy paste and say, there we go. We are now like Spotify. It, it's something that needs to emerge and it's something that will involve a lot of learning along the way. And the book, we've divided it into a number of sections. So first of all, we, we talk about the importance of building a foundation. Uh, and that foundation is all around culture and collaboration and putting the platform in place to, to provide the technology because there are some great you know, accelerators we can get from the technology. But, but a, a large focus on it is really about the people and, and, and the, the cultural practices that enable the people to operate with increase psychological safety with an increased level of energy and enthusiasm and autonomy. And, 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 and we talk about autonomy, mastery, purpose a lot in this to kind of create that foundation that our teams can then work on top of. And then the next part of the books talk about, you know, the importance of continuous discovery and continuous delivery. And, and this is really, and we have a section all about the different practices, and most of them are really collaboration practices that help us discover our why, you know, why are we here? What problems are we trying to solve? Who are we trying to solve them for? Uh, and what are the target measurable outcomes we're trying to achieve? Then we have a section about, well, how, how do you then decompose those, those outcomes into experiments? How do you prioritize those experiments? How do you, how can you, in a, in a very modern way of delivering software, how can we use some of the really advanced capabilities to run experiments and learn from our users really, really fast? And then we have a section all about delivery, which is you know what what are the practices and techniques that allow us to deliver in a much more iterative and incremental way. So those sections, the foundation, discovery, the the, the options on the on the delivery, we're not even really talking about tech at all in, in any of those. It's all about the people. It's all about the collaboration and the practices. We do then have some sections about, you know, building it, running it, owning it, which for the techie people, you know, they they can get their hands messy, but it's also, we also think it's something that the less techie people will learn from. And then finally, we, we get into sections about, well, you know, once we've been around that loop of discovery and delivery, how do we how do we kind of continuously learn from that and how do we sustain that? cultural foundation and how do we grow from it so yeah a, a book about devops which is at, at very most one-third about technology and i would actually say that the real focus the really interesting part that our many test readers have come back to us has been the stories about collaboration and breaking down silos which is what has enabled great devops to to take place
0: yeah, it's really fascinating to just to watch the evolution of DevOps, you know, thinking back into the you know early days where operations and development were two separate units, you know, and often developers weren't allowed to even have production access. Yeah. And, you know, the ops team were the ones that were the experts in how to configure the sun systems and <laughs> and and the storage arrays and all this stuff, right? Which required their own programming languages, it really was the shift to commodity hardware. That was maybe the first moment that like allowed this opening, right? where, oh wow, maybe we can automate you know the difference between a development environment and a production system is starting to diminish, right? Like yeah, so this notion of having to have someone that's going to be responsible for how the software runs in production versus how it gets coded is. And if you think about it, like looking back on it, how just like dysfunctional that is, right? Like, absolutely. Like, yeah. You think about operations. Sure, you might want to have people that know how to keep the systems running yeah. and get alerted and security and these kinds of things. But the software only being responsible to write it, not how it is stable and runs. <laughs> it's just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Wow. It's like you're not really <laughs> talking about the outcomes versus outputs, right? Yeah, yeah, Like if you're only responsible for writing it, that is an output task versus like making sure it runs and it doesn't fall down. That's a lot more outcome driven.
1: It is, and it's funny because I think over recent years we've really shifted the focus towards the end user when we're building products. You know, human centered design and design thinking and lean UX, and um, you know, so so we now have much greater empathy on users' pain points and you know how we can make their their lives, their 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 jobs that they do easier, simpler, automated. And I think DevOps is really the next evolution of that. We're thinking, well, there, these practices work so well for creating that empathy with users. How can we create that same empathy to developers from the people that build, you know, platform and the underlying infrastructure that we're developing on? How about we we create the same kind of collaboration and connections between those platform engineers and those developers? How about we we put the developer you know, heart of the experience so that we are continuously learning from them and thinking about how can we remove their pain points. And this idea of kind of, you know, taking a product approach, a product mindset to platforms, I think is really uh, an exciting space where we're effectively using what's worked really well in you know building products over the last decade and now thinking well how can we apply the same principles the same philosophies the same ideologies to the underlying infrastructure and, and and that to me is what is really exciting about about devops
0: yeah i think in general anytime people can apply design thinking devops lean agile any of this kind of more modern approaches to collaboration and just the way we work if we can point that stuff inward to our teams mm and redirect it to different audiences, you know, that's when we find real nascent opportunities that aren't necessarily the stuff you're going to read about in the book. You know, you were talking earlier about these discovery moments where we find out something that's unique about ourselves. Yeah. And I think, you know, whether it's developer experience or employee experience or the platform team experience or like the more we can get curious about like what others are going through and how we can can best create ease in their experience i think we all will appreciate the job more and you know the work becomes more fluid we can hit flow states more easily
1: absolutely yeah and it's uh, you know yeah it flows through the whole organization you know, taking that product mindset approach to everything you know continuous discovery continuous delivery a foundation of culture i think you know dev teams platform teams even leadership you know i think this this mindset of evolution and inspect and adapt and you know probing and sensing and responding based on change we're in a very we're in a world where change is happening all the time so at every level in our organization whether it's an application whether it's an underlying platform or whether it's a, a leadership strategy Taking a having having a system of work, a way of thinking that allows us to pivot and adapt when we get feedback, or when we we get learning, or when we get measures that are telling us that's the next best thing to do, I think is really really important. And you know that's been particularly true in the last eighteen months in, in the world of our pandemic. I think.
0: What are your thoughts on structure, specifically? I think about Conway's law and how our org charts can sometimes limit our ability to create or even develop software systems that can be resilient or can be compatible to this way of thinking, right? You know, there's lots of folks that are managing legacy systems that, you know, it makes it very difficult to do iterative development on. Whereas, you know, you've got folks that are building from scratch and it's like, it's really easy to add continuous deployment when you're starting from nothing. Yeah. Um, you just start with it, right? I often coach people when they're at founders and, and young CTOs and stuff, when they ask me about this stuff, I'm like, you know, put it in place, but don't overcomplicate it, you know? Like even just using Docker, but not trying to like automate everything means that you already are on that foundation. Yeah. So you don't have to rip everything out and re-add it later. Yeah. But the point is, I'd love to hear your thoughts just on structure in general, structure of the organization, structure on the software, like how is that impacting people's abilities to to lean into this way of thinking, this way of working?
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, we talked earlier a little bit about that kind of that thing that first team and that uh, internal case study, you know, and that in some ways that's easy, like you say that you know, cl- clearing the path for that one team to work in a new way. Uh, is inspiring and can be easy. But when you want to apply that kind of philosophy to the wider org, you very quickly run into challenges around the way the org is structured. And you, know, you mentioned Conway's law and you know the, 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 the cognitive load that uh, hits people whenever we're having to deal with many different parts of the organization and switch contexts many, many times. That's what really slows us down the great book i don't know if you've read uh read it team topologies mm. by manuel Pais, uh, matthew skelton who we've been working with recently and, and this idea of you know stream aligned teams around the uh, around the product and the business value and having that kind of cross functionality and and the platform teams you know giving a platform that enables developers to do to do their job much better and and to kind of uh, allow them to focus on delivering the value in their streamlined teams and then the enabling teams you know coming along which is kind of the function i i, I see as, as as what we often do so i think uh, it's an evolution it's a journey it's 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 not a i don't think it's one of these things that we do a sort of operating model refresh and and suddenly just install a whole new uh, operating model. it's something that has to evolve with time as we as we grow and spread the, the culture and the ways of working and the practices more towards those streamlined teams, those cross-functional product teams. Uh, and I think, you know, finding ways to measure the cognitive load within teams, finding, you know, ways to sort of see where where that, where that almost damage is being caused, what, what, that's what's slowing us down, uh, having these handovers, having these silos having these systems in place where you know in order to get something done end to end you're having to raise tickets on teams and you're having to you're having wait times and delays all over the place I think being able to visualize those kind of identifies where the bottlenecks are within org structures um, and that's and that's where you know that that can almost start to create a case for change and uh, and a prioritization for you know changing some of the org structure so that we can you know, Break those bottlenecks
0: apart. Great thoughts, and I really appreciate all of that. And I had to recognize that we we're kind of quickly running out of time. And I know that we could easily geek out on the stuff for hours. We could yeah. <laughs> taps into my you know years of CTO background, and so I don't always get to talk about DevOps with folks. But I want to just make sure to give you time to leave our listeners with a final thought. So, where can they find the book? How can they learn more, et cetera? Like just uh, maybe just a um, moment to share.
1: Yeah, sure. So I'd love to collaborate with anyone who, who wants to continue this conversation. The book is called DevOps, Culture and Practice with OpenShift, which is all about delivering continuous business value through people, process and technology. Uh, it's, it's a book I wrote with uh, Mike Hepburn, Noel O'Connor, uh, Donal Spring, and it was illustrated by Ilaria Doria. We're really excited about this. It's, it's a huge book. Uh, it, it's like a travel guide that you might, you know, you can dip into different parts if you're interested in culture or discovery or the tech, there's something for everyone in there, but it's also something relevant for everyone. So it's available on Amazon. So you can you can buy either the hard copy or the Kindle version on Amazon. Uh, you'll also be able to download it from Red Hat. So if you Google Red Hat DevOps culture and practice with OpenShift, it will take you to our, our page where you'll be able to uh, get a PDF copy of it. And, you know, I'd love love feedback. We we, we think you know, DevOps and, and everything we're talking about is a, uh, it's a never done state. It's always evolving. It's always adapting. So yeah, we'd love to hear feedback. Um, my Twitter handle is tdbt, so T-D-B-E-A-T-T-I-E. And yeah, feel free to get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn and uh, would love to hear any thoughts or uh, ideas people have got about anything that i've written or i've said about
0: awesome definitely check out the book y'all and look up tim on twitter i'm sure you'll be hitting the speaker circuit and getting the book out there so i'm sure there'll be lots of opportunity to hear more about your philosophies on devops etc it's really great love that this book's out there and it's been a pleasure chatting today tim thanks for joining
1: yeah thank you so much for having me it's uh, it's been a great chat
0: Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. And If you want more, head over to our blog where I post weekly articles and resources about working better together, voltagecontrol.com.